from the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. We're happy to be with you today. Thanks for joining us. Yes. We hope you're happy to be with us. I have a little something to share from a patron, uh, something that came in our patron file that you might like to hear. I want to hear it. I wanted to share with you, this is an anonymous patron, I wanted to share with you that Christopher's mission with the theology of the body has deeply touched and blessed my life since my early adolescence. I had the opportunity to attend a day-long parish event with him when I was 14. Wow. In 2003 at Christ the King Parish in Springfield, Illinois. Well, how about that? The seeds that were planted in my heart those 20 years ago have continued to grow and bear fruit throughout my life. This is a tremendous gift, and I cannot adequately express the gratitude I have for the theology of the body. Christopher, and you, Wendy, in teaching the theology of the body to me, Christopher has truly been a Christ-bearer in my life. And Wendy, now a wife and mother myself, I can understand to some small degree the immense impact you have in Christopher's mission and all you've done to make possible his ministry outside the home. I know that I owe you no small portion of gratitude, so thank you, thank you, thank you both. And my heart praises the Lord for every way he has allowed human instruments to work his wonders in the world. I remember uh, <laughs> I remember years ago when I went to my dear, beloved professor and mentor, the late and great Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. He has had such a huge impact in my life. And I went to thank him, and I was saying many of these similar things to him. And his response, which is what kind of wells up in me right now, is, mm-hmm. that's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> she was talking about how God uses human instruments, yeah. right? And that's the way it works. <laughs> he uses human instruments. Thank you, Lord, for all the human instruments that have blessed me and blessed you, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And, and when we've been so richly blessed... We, we, we open that blessing up, we offer it back to the Lord, and then it, it overflows to other people. That's the way it works. Mm. So I want to say to this dear patron, you have been richly blessed by the Lord. And guess what? You are in turn becoming a rich blessing to others. That's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> so it's happy. It's a, such a happy thing to be part of the way it works. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. And all of our listeners, just hearing this, just pause and maybe think about the way the Lord has worked in your life through people you know and how you're working in others' lives, how he's working in others' lives through you and the gift that you are. Yeah, that's the way it works. Mm. Thank you, Lord. you have any updates for us on the TOB Institute work? Well, I have an announcement to make. The Theology of the Body Institute in September of 2024 Mm. will be leading a pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. drumroll please, to the Holy Land. This will be our second trip to the Holy Land. We went there in 2000 and we got out of the Holy Land like Two days or three days Excuse before you lockdown. You just said in 2000. Oh, what did I say? <laughs> you said we went there in 2000. 2000. That was a long time. No, we didn't go there in 2000. The TOB Institute did not exist in 2000. I left out the 20. Right, it was 2020. Go. 
Right. Thank you for that correction, mm-hmm. Wendy. We went there in t- 2020. Three days. Uh, yeah, we left the Holy Land. We flew out like three days before lockdown happened. Everything shut down. The whole world shut down. Uh, but it was an amazing trip. And we are going back. We have had so many requests from mm. pilgrims. When are you going to go to the Holy Land again? Well, I want to go to the Holy Land. Well, we are going to the Holy Land. So we will have a link below. Uh, its registration is already open. It, it will fill up. So if you've ever wanted to go to the Holy Land and you've wanted to go there with your TOB glasses on, oh my God, that's the most exciting part, is seeing how this theology of the body that we have learned, the whole idea of the Word made flesh, we are going to the land in which the Word was made flesh. It, yeah, they call it the fifth gospel for a reason, the Holy Land, so check it out. Mm. We'd love to have you come with us. That is exciting. And are you ready for a question yes, from a patron? let's do it. Okay, this is from a patron named Jeremy. Hello, Jeremy. Your podcast and other videos and books from the Theology of the Body Institute have inspired me to take the plunge and try to read John Paul II's Theology of the Body awesome. in its entirety. Go for it, Jeremy. Whoop, whoop, whoop. However. Uh-oh. <laughs> for me, there's a chasm between actually reading John Paul II's work and listening to you both talk about it. After over two years of slow and diligent reading, I'm not even halfway through. Bless you, brother. You present this teaching in a way that's so engaging and beautiful, but I struggle to see this beauty in John Paul's text. (laughs) For me, it's so wordy, convoluted, and difficult to follow. Quite the most dense and hard-to-understand book I've ever read. I've read other works by John Paul II, such as The Letter to Artists, which I found clear and lucid and which spoke deeply to my heart, but I find the text of Theology of the Body to be dry and inaccessible. It seems to have been written for academics, not for ordinary people like me. Sometimes I read a paragraph three or four times, and still I'm none the wiser. (laughs) I'm using other books to help me understand the text, such as Christopher's Theology of the Body Explained, without which I would be hopelessly lost. Christopher has often spoken of how when he first read Theology of the Body, it spoke so deeply to his heart, changed his life. This has not been my experience. In fact, if it weren't for the work of Theology of the Body Institute in unveiling the beauty of John Paul's work, I would have given up after the first couple of pages. In a recent podcast, Christopher mentioned in reference to Flannery O'Connor that he's, quote, not wired in his brain for literature. I feel that my brain is not Mm. wired for John Paul's book. Mm. Was it really necessary for John Paul II to have written in such an academic style? Couldn't it have been written to be more accessible? What background did Christopher have in theology and philosophy that enabled him to understand the text so profoundly? I love the message and teaching of T.O.B. It is beautiful and has changed my life. I just wish I could enter into the text of John Paul's work in the way that Christopher was able to do. Is there anything I can do to help me engage with the text better, or should I just give up and instead rely on the work of the TOB Institute and others to unveil this beautiful teaching? Bless you, Jeremy. Gosh, I love your honesty. <laughs> it's really refreshing. It's certainly better than those who would pretend that they sh- love academic theology when they don't. I, I just grabbed the text of the Theology of the Body off my shelf here, and I'm just going to randomly open it to a random page and just read a few sentences so that those who may not have actually read it can understand what Jeremy is getting at here. So I'm just randomly opening on the text. I am on page 291. This is Wednesday audience address number 41, paragraph number two. And this is what he says. 
cognitive intentionality as such does not yet mean enslavement of the heart. It is only when the intentional reduction explained above drags the will into its narrow horizon when it awakens in it a decision for a relation with another human being, in our case with the woman, according to the scale of values proper to concupiscence, it is only then that one can say that the desire has gained mastery over the heart. So is that the way we talk in everyday language? <laughs> no, not at no all. this is not the way we talk in everyday language. And Jeremy, I can relate. Yes, 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 it is scholarly dense philosophy and theology. John Paul II is bringing to bear all of the riches of his scholarship, and he was a scholar par excellence. Your question, or one of your questions in a litany of thoughts and questions, was, is there a reason he did it this way? Couldn't he have just made it more accessible to everybody? And Mikhail Waldstein, who is also a scholar par excellence, who did this translation, and I worked closely with him on it. In his introduction to this English translation, he talks about this, and he says, there is value for the church when her teachers use all of the rigor of their scholarship so long as other people who have the gift to translate that scholarship into more normal language also come to use their gifts, right? So that it, and one, one way we could put it is the dense scholarship of John Paul II has a value in itself, but it needs to be translated into normal language if it is to become bread broken for all. And there's no doubt in my mind that John Paul II intended the theology of the body to become bread broken for all. But he also desired to write it and present it with all the rigor of a scholar. And he's trusting in the body of Christ to do its work. And by that I mean, as St. Paul says, some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the lungs, and some are the academic theologians. Some are the translators of academic theology. That's my role. That's my gift. That's my place in the body of Christ. I have a gift to understand the academic theology, and it's been the school of hard knocks over the last 30 years to learn the best images, the best language, the best analogies, to translate it, and I've learned from trial and error, and I look back, you know, at my work in the, in the 90s, and if, if I were to listen to my original tape series from the 90s, I would I would be I would be a pretty harsh critic of my own attempts to try to translate it. But you gotta get out there and just give it a shot and learn from trial and error. And over the last 25, 30 years, I've learned a lot as to how to translate it. And it has reached you. So thanks be to God, it has reached you. You do not have to have the gift for academic theology. And I think your analogy with with my statement recently that I'm just not wired for literature is apt. You may just simply not be wired for academic theology. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not lying when I say the first time I read it, my heart was on fire. Like, I, I was given a gift. I had an aptitude. I, I, don't, I can't explain it. Um, I had done some informal theological studies that maybe prepared me and philosophical studies. I did have some formal 
also philosophy studies in my college career. Um, but I also, I'll tell you this, when I first read it, this was before the internet, uh, I had a theological dictionary, a regular dictionary, and a philosophical dictionary handy to look stuff up. So it's not like I just whizzed through it and understood everything. In fact, in the last 30 years, I've probably read through this text, I don't know, 25 times. And every time I read through the text, I think to myself, oh my gosh, I didn't catch this the last time I read it. And that's, that's the way theology is. When you're talking about infinite mysteries, it's mean, it means there's always more to discover. So be kind to yourself, my brother. I wouldn't beat yourself up about it. Uh, not everybody has the aptitude to read John Paul II's Theology of the Body directly. Thanks be to God that people have come into the arena to translate it. Um, I'm glad you found the work of the Theology of the Body Institute, uh, and I'd encourage you to start looking at what some other organizations and other people have done to translate John Paul's work, because they'll bring a, a fresh perspective with a, a different insight than I'm able to offer. I'm, I'm a limited human being, and, and I bring my own uh, gifts and shortcomings to the table in, in translating this, but I, I am committed, God willing, to the day I die to, to translate this treasure for people into a language that, that normal people can understand, because it needs to be done, absolutely needs to be done. I have also heard of um, different times over the years, especially amongst like Catholic young adult groups, that people will take up studying it together in a group, mm -hmm. maybe uh, assigning, like, read this amount and come back once a week to discuss and try to make sense of it, talk about um, both, like, actually understanding the words and applying it to their lives. Um, I know of one a group through Into the Deep um, ministry, which is a theology of the body ministry. They always take two years, yep. start to finish, and they repeatedly do that. So they start a new group and they take two years reading through together and then restart. So um, whether there's something like that near you, I have no way of knowing, but um, I just, if that just encourages you to know that that is a helpful way that people have found to study it um, when they're, you know, wanting to get more out of it, that's just another thought. And I'll add this, there's a certain humility required in accepting our own limitations uh, when we don't have an aptitude for something. I'll, I'll give you an example. If I had the aptitude for languages, which I don't, I would study Polish so that I could read John Paul II in his native language. And I'm sure I would be able to mine riches out of the text if I understood Polish that just get lost in translation into English. I don't have that aptitude, so, so I'm stuck with that limitation, and that can aggravate me at times, um, but I just have to accept I just don't have that aptitude. And maybe for you, Jeremy, it's just, Lord, give me the grace humbly to accept that I don't have the aptitude for academic theological works, and you don't have to. Thanks be to God, there are people who can translate it. Jeremy, if you've ever come to a course um, at the Theology of the Body Institute, you would know, and some of our listeners have, some haven't, that um, typically when Christopher's teaching, he will share a portion of the actual text, but he often kind of interrupts the text by, you know, commenting even mid-sentence to kind of help people to 
make sense of what's going on. And and there'll be short portions and then a good amount of application before looking at another portion of the text just to, you know, acknowledge that it's a lot to chew on, a lot to try to take in. Our next question is from a listener named Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin. Dear Christopher and Wendy, thank you for your wonderful podcast. I especially love the moments when you ask listeners to pray for people who've sent in a question because it's a beautiful reminder of the communion we have with each other in the Catholic Church. Amen. My best friend and her husband are practicing NFP because they have a serious medical reason to avoid a pregnancy at the moment. Every time it comes up in conversation, she seems discouraged and frustrated. She says that NFP puts the onus on the woman to say no to her husband and to bear the brunt of understanding her own fertility. I'm single, so I don't have any experience in this area. My instinct tells me that NFP should be a team effort and that it can bring a couple closer. But every time I try to say this to her, it sounds hollow, like I'm being naive or I don't know what I'm talking about. My friend's husband is a really wonderful, caring person. I can't see him deliberately leaving her alone in this journey. Is it true that NFP can be a particularly isolating or burdensome experience for the woman? Do you have any advice for someone who feels like she's doing it all alone? Wow. Bless, 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 bless real people, real struggles, real problems, real difficulties. Uh, Yeah. Well, (laughs) we can speak from our own experience here. I'll just confess, I remember early on in our marriage, when when all of this was fresh and new, I was gung-ho about wanting to be involved in charting and understanding your cycle, and Mm -hmm. we went to classes together, and of course the teachers really emphasized this, to help the husband be involved. And there does need to be an emphasis on that, because it's easy enough for the husband to kind of end up being more removed from the process uh, because his fertility is the same each and every day of the month. Whereas the difference in the male and the female anatomy and the way God designed us, it's the woman whose fertility cycle needs to be observed and signs of fertility need to be recognized and charted. And yeah, it can be, and we know this from our own experience, I think I started off with a real, I want to be involved, and life goes on, and you get distracted, and other demands on your life, and it becomes easy to fall into a pattern, which I think we fell into, of Mm. Wendy kind of keeps track of that stuff, and you inform me, and I'll ask questions if I have questions, but I do, I look back, I mean, we're past childbearing years now, but... When I look back at all those years where we were aware of your cycle, mm-hmm. it was an integral part of our lives for years, for, for, for over two decades, for mm-hmm. 25 years or more. And there were times when I did better and times where I was not as attentive. And it did feel more like you were the one who mm-hmm. took on that responsibility. Um, and I, I want to apologize to you, Wendy, for the ways that I was not as attentive as I could have been and should have been. Thank you, my love. Yes. I forgive you. I know we're not perfect. We don't look back at everything and think that was exactly as we would want to have done it. But Do we look back on anything and say, 
That was perfect. That was exactly the... No. Uh, my, my point here, though, is also in, in having a certain understanding and compassion for the difference of the man and the woman, uh, there is a path towards a more unified, helpful, communal experience of practicing natural family planning that it seems to me, based on the information you shared, is missing in this couple's relationship. And it, I mean, there's so many factors. I don't know. Is this husband resentful about the abstinence? Is he putting a pressure on his wife? I, I have no idea to, uh, what the details of, of the relationship are. You did mention he seems like a very loving and attentive guy. But yeah, the, practicing natural family planning, learning the self-mastery that is required to abstain, is going to put all of our weaknesses, all of our faults, all of our selfishness in bold relief. It's going to put it out on the, uh, out on the table. It's going to shine a light on it. And, and that can build up all kinds of fears, resentments, um, anxieties, and we can begin to think, oh, this whole NFP thing is just a, a pain in the butt. Well, what's a pain in the butt is not NFP. What's a pain in the butt is that we're fallen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and the goal, the goal of any sacrament is to make visible what is invisible. And our fallenness, we often like to tuck it away and keep it invisible. Marriage is doing its job when it brings our invisible crapola out into the light. So if some crapola, either on part of the husband or the wife, or both, if some of their crapola is coming into the light through the practice of NFP, then guess what? The practice of NFP is doing its job. The question is, how will they respond to that? Will they respond to that visibility of their crapola with humility and with openness to grace or with resentment and blaming of NFP? You know, we're always looking to cast the blame elsewhere. It's the woman you put here with me. That's why we fell. Uh, that's why I ate the fruit. Uh, it's NFP. That's why we're having so many struggles. It's the Catholic Church. That's why. No, we're having so many struggles because we're fallen. We're broken. We're self-centered in our brokenness, in our fallenness. And married life, like nothing else, is going to bring that out into the light. The good news is marriage is a sacrament, and there is grace, specific grace granted by God precisely to overcome the selfishness, and the, the fallenness that makes marriage so difficult. And that grace is real, and we can receive it and open to it. Caitlin, I, I think I have thoughts for your friend and thoughts for you. And I just want to start with you, because I think as a single person, and you have this very close friend who's giving you little um, just insight into her experience of marriage, it can be uh, just disconcerting and concerning both for the friend, but also for your own sense of like what your future might hold or what is the hidden story of other couples and all, all that can be kind of going on in your mind and heart. So I know you know from listening to our podcast that there are um, many different experiences with using natural family planning. Ours, our listeners, you've heard many of them, and I don't want you to. Um, you know, be concerned that somehow 
every couple experiences what your friend is claiming to experience right now or saying describing as her experience. That is certainly not the case, and I, I want to put you at ease about that. Um, but I also want to encourage you that it's not your job to, um, as you've noticed, you can't really say what you would hope for your friend would be her experience and have it make much sense as a single person. And that's that's a little bit of a, a hard place to be in. I would think it could be good to say to your friend, I believe in you too as a couple, and I'm praying for you. And I really think you need to talk more with your husband about these things. He needs to be in on how she's feeling, especially especially if it's coming from a place of we're both committed to living the truth of our marriage. We are not going to entertain violating our marriage because living our true marriage is difficult for us. But if they are both people who will remain committed to the truth and experience the the opportunity that this is giving them to grow in grace, then he is the one she needs to be talking to most of all about these feelings. And if there are ways in which in their present, you know, growth in their own relationship, she's hesitant to share these things, maybe that's where you are called to encourage her that she really should talk more with him and have him know her. Because I imagine her Imagine her if her husband said to her after hearing how she's doing, if he had would say to her, I know this is hard. This is a big responsibility. Sometimes your signs are confusing. You want to please me and you're afraid that I'll be disappointed or when I am disappointed, it can feel like a rejection. I get all that and I'm so grateful to you for all that you're bearing. So grateful to you for paying attention to these signs throughout your day and and making notes of them and communicating about them to me. Even if in the moment I feel a little pain and you see that on my face, please don't think that I'm rejecting you. If he would say these kinds of things, she would feel inspired. She would feel like, this is my call. I'm called to do this hard thing because this is our task together. But he can't say all that if she doesn't even tell him how she's struggling and that she, maybe even to say to him, I need to hear these things and I need to hear it more, like that could be the step that they need in their relationship. All you wives out there doing NFP, I hope you heard my encouragement in those <laughs> words. I mean it for all of you. <laughs> and all you husbands out there, I hope you heard a little challenge because I did. <laughs> and I'm, I'm giving... I have experienced your encouragement in our marriage. I know, but even as you're saying that, what you just said, like in the place of the husband, if the husband would say this, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh gosh, did I, did yes. I, did I say that? Yes. I mean, I think I could have been more encouraging. <laughs> My love, thank you. I couldn't say that if I didn't know how it helped me. That's what I'm trying well, to get that's, across. That's helpful to hear, but yes. I also see. Yeah. The, you know what? One of the bottom lines in, is here: men and women are really different. <laughs> Like, wow, yeah, really different. And the difference is obviously what enables us to become one body. Mm-hmm. And that difference is good. And, and so often in this fallen experience of the difference, we want to blame the difference itself for our problems. 
And that's such a trap. Um, you and I, Wendy, just recently, we were recognizing our differences and, and we were both wrestling. Does this, it's, man, we know in theory this is meant to bring us together, mm. but sometimes it just feels like our differences take us in opposite directions and it's so hard. And it is hard. That's part of the fallen reality. But Christ came into the world. Here's the good news. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And the first miracle was at a wedding. Mm. Was at a wedding where they ran out of wine. And running out of wine here is a symbol, John Paul tells us, of the original sin. We've all run out of wine. That wine is God's love poured out for us. And I know Mary is interceding for this couple uh, and for all couples, going to Jesus saying, they've run out of wine. They've run out of wine. And maybe we could just take up Caitlin on her affirmation of our invitation uh, to, for our listeners to pray for people. Let's mm-hmm. pray for this couple. Mm-hmm. And let's pray for all couples who are struggling to be faithful to the church's teaching, who are, who are making earnest efforts to live the church's teaching and finding that difficult. And when those difficulties create resentments, we're, we're, we're looking in the wrong direction. We're, we're blaming something that isn't to blame. Mm. What is to blame? Our own fallen humanity. But the good news, again, we've all run out of wine. That's the bad news. But the good news is the wine has been restored in super abundance. Mary, we turn to you. Mm-hmm. We ask you please to intercede for married couples around the world because you know far better than even we do what it means that we've run out of wine. Please go to your son, Mary, on our behalf once again and invite him to restore the wine where we need it most. And we lift up this couple mentioned in this question in a particular way with their particular struggle. Yes, Lord. Where they have run out of wine and it's caused certain resentments or bitterness or pain. We ask for that healing wine to be a balm that soothes the pain and to be a joy in living out the truth of love, Lord. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This question is from Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Christopher and Wendy, thank you for your podcast and for speaking, which has shed light and healed the shame that I've experienced because of the silence that can surround the body and Mm -hmm. sexuality. Mm. I didn't know how badly I needed someone to just say over and over again how good we are. So thank you. You are welcome, Catherine. Yes, we do need that. I I felt that in my own life. Mm -hmm. We need to hear this message over and over and over again. Amen, Catherine. My question is, I was in a relationship with a man that was neither healthy nor God-centered. In spite of this, I felt a deep respect for him and an admiration for who he could become. When I remember him, I often long to be near him. I know that he's not the man that I'm going to marry, but that relationship and the depth at which we shared was real. I want to sit under his arm like Eve near Adam's rib. I know that I have, as the poets say, stirred up love before its time. What do I do with this complex love, longing, and separation that I now have related to this man? I wonder how it might affect me in a future relationship as I give myself to a man. What place do old flames have in light of the T.O.B.? Wow, I could uh, 
write a whole book on this subject because it's it's something I've wrestled with in my own life, something that you've dealt with in your life, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And it's very sensitive. It's very tender and very delicate. And you are right, I want to affirm, you are right to acknowledge that there was goodness in that relationship. It's so important that we understand the, the basic principle of what sin is, right? When we sin, we're actually looking for something good, but we miss the mark. It's an archer's term, right? Sin, uh, uh, for an archer, when he pulls back his arrow and he misses the target, he has sinned, right? The church uses this language, the whole biblical tradition uses this language borrowed from archery. We're looking for something good, and sin attacks that good, it distorts that good. But even in the sin, there is some presence of the good, but the good has been distorted, right? Even in the act of a a prostitute and a man paying for her sexual services, there is some element of good that is twisted up, terribly twisted up, uh, but there's still some element of good even in the midst of all that's twisted up doesn't make it make it less evil it just helps us understand what the nature of evil is what the nature of sin is by its very nature it is it is i like this expression it's parasitic of the good like a parasite attaches itself to something good and tries to eat away at it so so sin is parasitic of the good so there was some good in your relationship with this man Uh, The sin that was involved was parasitic of the good, so it wasn't the fullness of good, uh, but it was a distortion of a good. Wendy, you have helped me here tremendously, because I am one prone to extremes, and when I was in a long-term relationship as a young man, I thought it was all good when there was a lot of bad in there, and then when I came to faith and realized, wow, I had committed a lot of sin. I went to the other extreme and I threw out the baby with the bathwater. And for a number of years in my life, I just thought, well, that was so bad. That was all bad. That was rough. That was really bad. I really messed it up. Man, I'm so messed up. That relationship was so messed up. And then I fell in love with you, Wendy. And of course, in falling in love with you, part of sharing my life was sharing that reality of that relationship. And you knew about that relationship because the night you and I met, I was giving my my kind of testimony of how I encountered Christ in my life, and that was a big part of my story. So you knew about this relationship right from the start of our relationship. And as you and I were falling in love, and I was looking at this past relationship, you helped me so much to recognize that I was wrong to throw out the baby with the bathwater and just write the whole thing off as bad. Because there was good that was part of it. Did I miss the mark in that relationship? Yeah, I missed the mark in all kinds of ways in that relationship. Was there still good in that relationship? Yeah, there was still good in that relationship. Has the Lord used that relationship in my life to bring about good? Uh, Yeah. Um, Is there a hope in my heart that in heaven, the goodness of that relationship that I had as a young man will be fully redeemed? and, And I'll see how the Lord brought even a greater good than would have been possible in my life if that relationship had never existed? Man, I can't wait for that. that I mean, even as I think about that, that mm. stirs my heart and, and brings a, like a lump to my throat. Like, 
I long for that. I long for the restoration of the whole universe where, where God takes even our evil choices and brings about a greater good. That's a longing for heaven. That's a longing for the fullness of redemption. And you can hope for that and should hope for that. Uh, really feel that longing for heaven where all will be restored, where all will be redeemed where everything that was true, good, and beautiful about your relationship with that man will shine with glory, and even what was wrong and sinful, the Lord will use in the power and mystery of his redemption to bring about even a greater good in the redemption of it all. Yeah! Yeah, bring it on! Absolutely. I can't wait for that. And Wendy, I can't relate to. I can't wait to see your past relationship with your boyfriend before you and I were a couple. Mm-hmm to see how the Lord brought tremendous good out of that for all eternity. Can't wait to to know him and to see you rejoicing in him in all the right ways and him rejoicing in you in all the right ways. And, you know, all the things that we think in this world, well, what about jealousy and what about that? And that's what, what? none of that's going to exist. Everything, everything, everything is going to be set aright. Everything, hmm. all those jealousies will be purified and, and rectified and set aright, and there will be no. I mean, I know, Wendy, that you rejoice at the thought of the redemption of that relationship I yes. had. I know you do, and 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 you will rejoice in that. And I rejoice at the thought of the redemption, of the relationship that you had, and I rejoice in that. And will our relationship shine in a way that's more glorious than either of those relationships? Absolutely, because you and I are husband and wife. Yeah. And that'll have a special place even in eternity. Um, how it's all going to look, I don't know, but I know it's going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. <laughs> so, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I got off on some tangent, and I hope it's related to what the question was. It's absolutely related. Okay, good. Yes, thank you, Holy Spirit. He inspired you to share all those things because it's absolutely, I believe, what our listener needed to hear good. and know. You're giving that perspective both of okay you're a man later in life probably you know we are a couple who've lived a lot more life than this listener has so you have that just in the life on this earth perspective of um, having processed through trying to make sense of the past relationship and see how the lord has enabled you to be prepared for your marriage and that's beautiful. But also that hope. There's another perspective that's going to come. Yeah. And it's, it's the perspective of freedom from our brokenness that allows us to delight in the, the good that we have seen a little bit of. We can see it fully and fully delight in it in heaven. And that's so beautiful. Can I, can I add one thing yeah. to this? Which mm-hmm. I think is really important. Yeah. Because this is where people get in hot water. Okay, yeah, that's important. When we, when we have a rightful desire for restoration that is a heavenly, a desire for heaven, it mm-hmm. can only really come to pass in heaven. Yeah. When we mistake that desire for heaven with something that can happen now, mm-hmm. um, and we look up our old flames on Facebook or whatever yeah. and, and start dabbling back into really tender, vulnerable places of our heart, right. this is what... Breaks up marriages and yeah. can really be a wrecking ball yeah. when we do that kind of stuff. Um, but what I'm trying to affirm is retain that hope for heaven. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm not suggesting you try to pursue, uh, you know, some married couple start trying to pursue rectifying old wounds with old flames. No. Um, that stuff is reserved for heaven by and large. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to say that I th- thought it yeah. needed some some clarity. Yeah, or the sense of the need for openness with, with I mean, this is speaking as a married couple, which I don't think Catherine yes. is married, but it is important to say, like, for example, between us, when there, it's not that there's been zero contact with these past relationships, but we always share it with one another yes, yes. and make sure that we are you know, not sending any confusing messages yeah. to these other yeah. people because who knows where they are in their healing journey, yeah. you know, their journey of making sense of their story. So there is certainly caution about all of that. Um, and I just want to say to Catherine that um, I think that in ways that you're describing these tender places in your heart, which is very honest of you to share about um, both your admiration for this man, in spite of the wrongness that was in your relationship, and also the the desire to be close to him, I really think it is it is right for you to bring that honestly and openly to Jesus. Amen. Like yes. really talk to you, talk to the Lord, and describe these things that have stirred in your heart in greater detail than you've shared with us, in greater honesty, in greater openness. Because he wants you to see, he wants you to hear from him what that desire is truly for and how it got, as Christopher said, how, how you missed the mark. Um, but also the goodness of your desires and his tenderness toward you. Like, to not be ashamed of that, um, but to allow him to look at your heart with you, you know, look at the story with you. And there are stages to the process of of um, making sense of what has happened when something has been that impactful. Um, I do not think that the Lord is going to call you to marry someone in the future, and when you talked about in a future relationship, who is not who would be unable to hear about your experience with this other man. I I think that the Lord loves you, knows you. In fact, I know he loves and knows you, that he's going to take you on the journey that you need to go on with him in, in just trusting day by day that he's speaking to your heart. He's meeting the needs of your heart. The Lord is. And as this relationship becomes more and more in your past, you'll have You'll see it more clearly, and it will prepare you, because the Lord is so faithful, to be a true gift to the one that he is calling you to. And that person will be prepared by the Lord to receive your story. I'm not saying perfectly, but that is part of the Lord's good plan for you, that that the good that he's bringing about in your life through your desire for him, for the Lord— is going to be a blessing to the man you marry. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I wonder if this is an inspiration. I'll, I'll hold it out to you uh, to pray into the story of the woman at the well. Uh, when Jesus has these encounters with women who have misdirected their desires towards men who cannot possibly be for them 
the love that they really yearn for. He never shames them. He never scolds them. He never condemns them. He redirects their desire towards what they're really looking for, which is him. That's what that whole story of the woman at the well is all about. If you knew the gift that I wanted to give you, Jesus says, you would bring your thirst to me. You would bring that yearning to me, and I would give you a water, a living water that, that touched that deepest place of your thirst and welled, wells up in you to eternal life. That man in your life properly understood, even though it was broken and fallen and sinful in various ways, the, the, the reason God created us male and female is to reveal the mystery of Christ in the church. Ultimately, the way your relationship, as broken as it was, can enter into redemption is to allow the Lord to show you how what you were really looking for in and through that man was the true bridegroom, Jesus Christ. That redirection of your desire uh, will be an integral part of your, your journey and your healing. And we, we pray for you now that, that the Lord will take you step by step in discovering that living water and a, that it will well up in you to eternal life. And we ask this in, in Jesus' name and through the intercession of the, the Eastern Church calls that woman at the well, Fotine, mm. P-H-O-T-I-N-E, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So Saint Fotine, please, mm-hmm. please pray for all of us as we seek to redirect our desire towards the Lord. Well, thank you everyone for submitting your questions. Keep them coming. We, we are grateful to all of you for submitting them. We don't have a podcast without your questions, so thanks so much. Yes. And we hope that you were blessed by something we shared today. And if you were, if you know somebody you think would be blessed by it as well, hit that share button and help us expand our global family of podcast listeners. Mm -hmm. We always end with our desire for you to know that you are an indispensable, unrepeatable, irreplaceable gift of life and love become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. 